have this, this thing about liking passages of Scripture and accounts in the Bible where people aren't named. It's something about the, the pages of Scripture that I really like people who are not um, recognized. And today we're going to look at a couple of these, and people remain nameless, and they're people that we don't know a lot about. They're not famous people. They're briefly mentioned or not even mentioned. And and consider this, and we're not going to talk about this passage, but I, I just want you to consider this, and we'll read it, but, but I just want you to think about this incredible account of Jesus doing a miracle on the side of a hill. Here, here Jesus is sitting on the side of the hill. I want you to picture this. Jesus is sitting on the side of a hill with his disciples, and he's trying to get away from the crowds. But the crowds keep following him. And so he's trying to get away, and the crowd of over 5,000 people come and find him on the side of this hill. And they're coming toward him, and so Jesus asks a question of his disciples. And he says, where can we buy bread for all these people to eat? And that's an incredible thing, because it's sort of like this, right? I mean, Jesus sees people coming to him, and he feels obligated to feed them. It would be sort of like me telling you, I'm coming to your house today about noon, hint, hint, I would like to eat, okay? And, and these people show up on the side of a hill, they don't expect to eat. But Jesus expects to feed them. And it's just one of those crazy things. And, and here's what we're going to read it because I think it's just interesting. And so John 6, 5 says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him, turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down, and on the grassy slopes, the men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted, and everyone was full. Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. And Jesus saw that. They were ready to force him to be their king. He slipped away into the hills by himself. So here's the question I have. Because see, when I read a passage of Scripture like that, yes, I understand the miracle and it's all those things, but here's the questions that get raised in my head. The first one is, who packed the boy's lunch? Was it the boy? Probably not. Probably not. Um, In all likelihood, it was the boy's mother. Okay. Who baked the bread? The boy? No, probably not. Probably the boy's mother. Why did we have Godfather's taco pizza last night? It's less risky than me cooking. Okay, that's sort of, that's kind of the way that works. And so, look, look at this. There's a mom involved in this story. But she's not even mentioned. 
let alone being nameless, she's not even mentioned in the story. It's just a given that a mom is behind some of the stuff that's going on. And, and mom gets no credit in the story. <laughs> and ladies are probably thinking, some things never change. <laughs> on the other hand, we can probably all relate to the story because, you know, we're probably not going to be famous. And yet God is very interested in our little decisions that are really major decisions. And we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at another mother who had an interaction with Jesus. This mother is at least mentioned, but remains nameless throughout the whole account that was recorded by Matthew. So Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. When she came and worshipped and pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now, I don't know if there's maybe much better summary of a person's life and character than that. Four words that Jesus speaks about this woman, and it sums up her life. In verse 28, Jesus said, your faith is great. But here's a lady who's a Canaanite woman who came from the country north of Palestine, a, a country hostile to the Jewish people, and, and she was presumably married. I want you to think about this for just a moment. When you think about the, the place where she comes from, now I know we're not all identified by our, our ancestors, but this would have been where people like Jezebel was from. Okay, just to give perspective. She was probably married, and she had at least one child, but that's all we know about her. We don't even know her name. All we know is that her single encounter with Jesus, he says to her, your faith is great. Only four words. And he says a few other things to her. But four words that really put her in a place where that's something to, to strive for, not only for moms, but for everybody, that, 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 that we would be accused by Jesus that our faith is great. And I'd love to be accused by others on the planet that my faith is great, but if they hear that from Jesus, that would be the ultimate. Your faith is great. And Jesus is an expert on faith. I mean, he understands it. He was looking for faith on the earth. He was scouring the planet for, for faith. He, the, the Gospels indicate that when Jesus found faith, he was overjoyed. He was filled with joy. But he didn't always find it. He didn't always find it in his disciples. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that Jesus never said to Peter, James, and John, your faith is great. 
But he said to this nameless mother from outside of the house of Israel, your faith is great. And I want you to think about as we kind of walk through this, these couple of verses and this, this account of Jesus' life. What did this woman do that deserved such praise from Jesus? Well, I think one of them is she, she crossed some barriers. And she was a woman, she was a Gentile, and she was a Canaanite. Now, those were three strikes for a conversation with Jesus. Because it wouldn't have been okay for a normal, in normal cultural setting for a woman to come up and talk with Jesus. That just wouldn't have been okay. But we know that Jesus was okay with it. and he, It wasn't a sin issue. It was just that it wasn't culturally acceptable. But here was a mother who in her need was prepared to cross any obstacle, to do anything she needed to do in order to get help for her daughter. Faith still requires that we make effort to cross barriers and things that stand in our way. There's barriers that we may need to cross today. Things like time. We often are too busy with the things of earth to pay attention to the spiritual. Then there's the issue of trusting Jesus who lived on the planet 2,000 years ago. And how do we trust in and believe in this guy that was 2,000 years ago that, 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 that is now our Savior. It's hard for people in our culture to, to wrap their minds around that and to grasp that. And, and here it is. There's a time issue. It's a culture thing. I mean, it just, does God understand our problems? Does God understand what we're going through? Does he understand what I face today? He understood what the woman faced in that time. And he still understands what we're facing today. It doesn't matter what the situation is. God understands it. But probably the greatest barrier of all is pride. Many today are, are similar to the person who is drowning but refuses help. In fact, the person who's drowning not only refuses help but actually fights against their, their rescuer. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves fighting against our rescuer. Now here's this lady who's approaching Jesus and she's, she's kind of jumping through all these things and we're going to get to it, but, but she, she didn't allow anything to stand in her way. And why was that? Because she was desperate, for one. She knew she was not getting it done on her own. We don't know what all she had tried, but it's probably pretty confident that she had tried other things, and they had all failed. I mean, she comes from a place that would have had multiple gods, and, and she probably tried all those things, and, and, and she had given all that she had and was desperate for help. And now she would seek help from Jesus regardless of the cost. And what else would drive a mother to do something like that? It's love. Love for her child. Love made her accept Jesus' silence. Love, love allowed her to walk through that and navigate the words he said. Even his apparent uh, uh, refusal. And the disciples' discouragement to keep pressing forward. To keep believing that Jesus would answer and provide 
what she was asking for. Because she loved her child so much, she, she saw the pain of her child. She understood the struggles that she was in the midst of. Understand, here is a girl who is demon-possessed. And, and I know we don't see that in, in, in our culture today. But what I'm saying is, what we're seeing here is something is significantly wrong. I'm not saying we don't see it in the same way. We see it manifested differently in our culture than we would probably in that culture in that time. But the bottom line is, when you look at this, Jesus is looking at somebody who is significantly in need. And this mother's love is so great that it drives her to Jesus with complete trust. The mother probably saw in Jesus a compassion that would not turn her away. She believed in his ability and willingness to help. Our faith is often determined by what we see in Jesus. Our faith is often determined by what we know about Jesus, what we see in Jesus. When we look at who Jesus is, if we understand who Jesus is, our faith will increase. If we don't know who Jesus is, our faith is going to be lessened. She doesn't even know much about Jesus. And her faith is great. The, the second thing that, that this mom did to, to get the res, response from Jesus that she got, that her faith was great, is that she persisted. This mother refused to be put off or intimidated. She was not going to take criticism or silence as an answer. Now, I, I want you to think about this. A terrible example. Okay, terrible example. Horrible parallel. But good, but Black Friday. Black Friday. Mother and toy for child. Don't get in that space. That's a bad place to be. Because moms want the toy for the child. And if you're in between, you will be trampled. It happens at Walmart all the time, right? I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. See, because there's, there's determination, there's persistence. And, 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 and that's sort of what we're talking about. We're, we're looking at a mother who, no matter what got in the way, she wasn't going to stop. It was the disciples. Look, Jesus' silence doesn't stop her. In, in verse 23... It says, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. He, I mean, it gives us the impression that he doesn't even acknowledge her. She didn't perceive his silence as indifference. She spoke again to the heart of God. She, she was willing to go beyond the silence and to continue to make her plea. I mean... The disciples aren't exactly encouraging. The only thing she hears, it appears, tell her to go away. They said she is bothering us with all her begging. <laughs> Me, if I were there and I had made this plea, I probably would have said something like this to the disciples. Some of you might be with me. Some of you are probably nicer than me. But I probably would have said something like, was I talking to you? <laughs> Um, are you his schedulers or handlers or something? Like, you're not helping me. Like, if you could mute them with a button, you would. I mean, I just, you know, let's shut them down. 
that doesn't stop her. Then, in verse 24, Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Jesus responds in not a encouraging way. In fact, he says to her, essentially, sorry, you don't belong to the right group. You have no claim on me. And although that was true, because initially this is Jesus has sent, he sent to, to reach the people of the Jewish nation. He sent it. There's going to be a time of the Gentiles, but right now he's there for this purpose and, and he's there for one thing only. He's there to, to reach them. And, and here's this outsider, this, this woman who, who, who has no real claim, who's crying out at his feet saying, Lord, help me. That's the essence of great faith. The essence of great faith is, is to stretch out our hands in desperation to Jesus. Because he is the answer. He, he's the one who is able to do it. Now, now you have to understand that by Jesus' words, and he goes on, and it makes it tough. Jesus' words are tough to understand. See, there is persistence here by this, by this woman. It's, it's a determination that, that this mother possessed, and many moms possess today. Persistence is the hallmark of a godly mother in a lot of ways. And the third thought is, is that this mother made no claim. She didn't expect and didn't say that she deserved it. She just pled her case. And she just said, Lord, have mercy on me. She relied on the grace of Jesus. When, when Jesus says to her that it didn't seem right to take bread from the table, from the children of Israel, and throw it to the, to the dogs, she didn't burst into tears. And she didn't walk away. Instead, she gave him an answer that excited him. Now, when you read verse 26 and 27, it says, Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Now, we all understand that, don't we? I mean, some of some who have dogs um, feed them right off the plate. I mean, right? You just cut a little dog. There, you know. I've never seen that anywhere. Never seen people feed. I have a cat. I mean, seriously. The cat just, you put something down for the cat. The cat looks at you like, what are you trying to do, poison me? I mean, seriously, that's the way cats function. Cats, cats are weird. At least ours does. But, but here, here is Jesus saying this. And when you hear this, when I hear this and, and, and you hear this statement, you're going, that just doesn't, that seems wrong. I mean, it seems mean of Jesus. I mean, that, and that's way out of character for Jesus. And that's not what he's trying to say here. He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to, but he's basically saying that his first priority was to spend time feeding his children, teaching his disciples, which notice that's all he's trying to do all the time, and people keep interrupting him. 
not to take food away from them, his, his family, his, his people, just like we're responsible to care for our own families first and then worry about other people. And, 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 and it's not that we aren't to worry about other people, but we're supposed to worry about our family first. That's why the, the scriptures say that we should take care of our own soul before we worry about other people. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't help us if we gain the whole world to lose our own soul. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm taking care of this. I need to take care of this, this group. I need to take care of my disciples. And I can't take food away from them and throw it to the pets. And that's essentially what it's, 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 not, it's not a derogatory word being used there. It is actually a more um, pet kind of word, not like you wild dog. That, that's not what it's, it's not what it's saying. And so Jesus was not insulting the woman. He was saying that she must not demand what God had ordained for the Jews or for the other people. That she had to wait or should wait for the appointed time. And so, when she responds, in verse 27, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. When she says that, there's something that leaps in Jesus' heart and he recognizes her, her faith because here it is. She recognizes the power of the scraps from Jesus. I mean, think about that. I mean, if you drop scraps from your table and you sweep them up, you don't expect that to be a full nourishing meal. You expect it to go in the trash. She, when she thought she got the scraps from Jesus' table, that was going to bring life and healing to her daughter. See, she understood that 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 little bit from Jesus was going to change her daughter's life. And so her eyes are open. She didn't look at the negative. She's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. So there is hope here. If I just get the scraps, my daughter can be healed. Dear woman, your faith is great. That's the response of Jesus. Because Jesus recognizes what she's caught on to. She's caught on to the fact that she doesn't need everything. She doesn't need the whole meal. She just needs a little touch from the master's hand. And that's going to be all the difference. Truth be told, that's all we need. We just need the scraps from the master's table. We just need a touch from the master. We just need a little bit from Jesus. And our lives can be radically different. When we are in need of healing, we just need the scraps from the master's table. We don't even need to demand. Oh, yet he gives us the right to demand some things. He gives us right to call out for things. He tells us to never, ever give up. I mean, think about that. Think about what Jesus taught in other places throughout the scriptures. He tells us to never give up, to ask God and never give up. So I don't care what you're facing. He's saying ask and never stop asking. Ask and ask again. Seek and seek some more. Knock and keep on knocking. It's, that's his approach. So one of the things we learn from this nameless mom is never give Another thing we learn is don't take silence for an answer. See, see, silence doesn't mean anything. In the situations we find ourselves in, God's silence may just be asking for greater determination. His silence is not necessarily an answer. Now, it can be a wait, obviously, but it can be never underestimate the power of the small things. Never underestimate what God is doing in those moments because when you're, when you're crying out to Him and you're not hearing anything, 
Just keep asking. Because silence isn't an answer. Now, he may change your prayer. Because you may be asking for direction. You may be asking to help you someplace. Students may be looking for direction for, for their future, their lives. They're saying, God, I want to do this. And you're not hearing anything. And you're saying, God, what are you doing? Or we might be in the middle of life and, and things have changed. And we're asking, we're saying, God, where are you? Why are you not answering me? That's the wrong prayer. The prayer is to pray the prayer you're praying. And keep praying the prayer you're praying. Don't worry about the silence. Just keep asking him because he's hearing you. And if you keep asking, he's going to do one of two things. He's either answering that prayer or he's going to change your direction to where it lines up with his plan and his purpose. See, silence is not the problem. It's, it's what's coming in the midst of that. And sometimes he just wants us to keep asking. Never give up. Don't take silence for an answer. And never underestimate the power of small things. God may use your determination, your lunch-making skills, and everything in between to make a difference in the lives of your family and those around you. Now, as I was thinking about this message, and preparing, I realized growing up, I know this is a terrible, terrible confession. I never made my own lunch. My mom made my lunch every day. Never did I make my own lunch. Ever. So, why do I think that the mom made the lunch? That's why I think the mom made the lunch. There's something else I learned too. Now, now you're really going to be like, he is pathetic. I never did my own laundry. Even in college. My grandmother and my aunt loved me so much. They didn't want me to do my laundry. They probably wanted my clothes to look good. Because they figured I was going to be trouble. No, 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 look. And see, see. Often, we, and I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching, and I probably should learn some of that stuff. And, and my wife is unappreciative of the fact that my grandmother and my aunt spoiled me, okay? She doesn't like that, but they spoiled me. And so my mom did, and so, so that's just the way it is. But here, here's the deal. See, you're looking at it from the wrong side of the equation. I look at it this way. My grandmother, my aunt, my mother loved me so much, they wanted to do that for me. But look, I lived in Lawrence. My aunt told me, if you come over here on the weekends, I'll do your laundry every weekend you come over here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, what are you going to do? I'm going to show up too, right? And I got to eat home-cooked food. Right? I suffered greatly in college. When I was at Washburn, and I lived with my grandparents for a semester and mowed their yard for them, okay, it was a fair deal. I would come home from lunch, for lunch, and I'd have pork chops, mashed potatoes, gravy, dessert, and a salad. Would you live there? You better believe you would. She loved me. Do anything for me. 
That's a small picture of God's love for you and me. He loves us so much, he will do anything for his children. He loves us so much, that's why he sent Jesus. It's a picture of God's love for us. He is so good, and God's grace is so amazing. And I realize we have songs about that, right? Amazing grace. We get things we don't deserve. I got a lot of things I didn't deserve. I didn't deserve what I was, how I was treated throughout college and through, throughout my life. You know, you know, as bad as I was with my mom, she probably she said, make your own lunch. Do your own laundry. But that's the love of a mother. Love, love, true love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't stop when things don't go well. True love lasts through everything. And God's grace is right there. See, God's grace and his love for us is incredible. And we have many things in our lives that we do not deserve. We have many things that he has promised us. But he also gives us things that he has not promised us. And that is the lesson that I learned from the life of a nameless woman who pled for the healing of her daughter. When you walked away from that, we walk away from this morning, my prayer is that we'll want to be in places where God would say of us, your faith is great. You may sit here this morning and think, my faith isn't great. It can be should be. The more you understand who Jesus is, it will increase your faith. The more you understand the character and nature of God, it will increase your faith. And when you understand that, your faith will be great. Faith isn't the answer to everything that we face, but faith is an important ingredient to all that's going on. See, faith in just anything doesn't count, okay? Faith in God matters. Faith in Jesus' power matters. Faith there, faith in the right place matters. Just have good faith in something. Faith in Jesus matters. Faith in Christ. That's what we're talking about. So, ask God. Never give up. Don't take silence for an answer. Never underestimate small things. God's grace is amazing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. Lord, I'm asking for those that are in this room, Lord, that their faith we've built this morning from the example of this Canaanite woman who approached Jesus and had no reason or right to do so, But he answered her prayer. And Lord, we know 
but we're closer than that because we're your children, we're your followers, we're your sons and your daughters. And Lord, we're asking that you would help us in the life and the journey that we live, that we would have great faith. And Lord, that as we face whatever we're facing or or what we're going to face in the future, Lord, that our faith and trust in you would be great. And that, Lord, we wouldn't give up. That we'll keep asking, we'll keep praying. We'll believe that you are going to answer and that you're going to come through. Lord, I pray this morning as we draw our time to a close, God, ask you would pour out from your resources, God, faith in the hearts and lives of all of us, that we, people, that would be said of us that our faith is great. Not that we'll be famous, not that people will celebrate our lives for the things we accomplish but we'd celebrate the fact that our faith was great, our trust in you was great, our relationship with you was great. Lord, if people are facing difficult situations, build faith in their lives, bring those around them that have great faith, and encourage them and strengthen them through the journey. In Jesus' name, amen.